Could you open in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 11? I want to talk to you about prayer today, a a life-changing prayer life. I want to give you a couple keys to a life-changing prayer life. Not just a boring prayer life, not just a I hope that I can pray and not fall asleep prayer life, but a prayer life that changes your life. Two things you need to know about prayer. Prayer is completely natural. It's completely normal. It's nothing weird about prayer or abnormal. We were created to pray. God intended us to pray. We have ears to hear. We have a mouth to speak. We have this heart to relate. We have the mind to think. We understand that with our ability to communicate, that that's by design. And God intended that it to be that way from the very beginning. God is not a God who is distant, far off, and unconcerned with our lives. But God is a personal God who also not, not only hears us, but communicates with us as well. He's not a God who just simply said, okay, I saved you. I gave you 10 important rules. Don't mess things up. Try and be good. I'll see you when you get to heaven. He's not like that. Between that time of him saving us and the time we get to heaven, he still wants to spend time with us. He still wants us to talk to him. He wants to hear from us and he wants to talk to us. And he also wants us to understand the power of prayer that changes both our lives and the environment or the situations that we find ourselves in. Prayer is completely natural. You've got agnostic people who don't even know if there's a God who throw out prayers. You've got people who are atheists who are open to you praying for them. Most of the time, if you talk to somebody, even if they say, I don't believe in God, but they talk to you about some difficult things they're going through, if you just say, can I pray for you? Is it all right if I'm praying for you for this? Most of the time they would say yes, because there's something on the inside of us that's, that understands that prayer is, it's, it's natural, it's intended, it's just how things should work. So first thing you need to understand, because it's not a foreign concept. Here's the second thing you need to understand. Prayer is completely unnatural. Prayer is completely abnormal. Prayer is completely weird. It's something that people are uncomfortable with. And I say that not just thinking, oh, that would be a great contrast. No, the reality is people who really love God and want to talk to God and want to know God and please God, they struggle with actually praying. And sometimes it's because I I don't know what to say. I don't know if my prayers are getting past the ceiling or if they're falling on the floor. I don't know if I'm praying right. I don't know if it's making a difference. I just don't feel like praying as much as I know I should pray. I've been uh, a pastor for over 20 years, and I've both ran into many people like that. And let me tell you something. I don't always wake up in the morning thinking, oh, another day to pray. I don't always feel like, you know what? We're struggling with this. Let's just pray, everybody. Why is it, a, what is it about prayer that, that, man, you could feel like, hey, you guys want to go to the movies? You want to go do this? Oh, you know, all these things that great activity, energy levels sound like a lot of fun. And if someone says, you know what? Let's just take about an hour to pray for Suddenly you're like, oh, I, you know what? I don't feel too good. I'm tired. You know what? I'll catch up with you later. What is it? Prayer is at the same time that it's natural and normal. It's unnatural and, and abnormal for us. 
Some people it just clicks for. Honestly, it does. I mean, they maybe it's because they had a great relationship with their dad here on earth and always talking, and then all of a sudden they have a relationship with Father God, and there's no you know, struggle with that at all. They just transfer that. Some people do. Other people are very distant and maybe feel like they, they can't talk to their parents or something here on earth, and so they kind of relate to God that way too. If prayer was just so natural to where it clicked in for us, even if we love God, then the Bible wouldn't tell us over and over to pray. It tells us to pray because there's something on the inside that we struggle with, whether it's at the soul level or just the plain flesh level that keeps us from praying. And I also believe that the enemy wants you to not pray. So the very first key I want to give you, though, when it comes to praying is this, pray and refuse to be silenced. Refuse to be silenced. In Luke chapter 11, I asked you to turn there. I want to read verses 1 and 2 out loud from the screens with you. So can you lift up your voice as we read this? Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did some of you guys revert back to old King James in the midst of that? Hallowed be thy name. Did I hear that? It didn't say that. It said, hallowed be your name. But anyways, we just get that memorized. That's not even the point. I just thought I heard that you guys got it down. <laughs> but this is what I really want to focus on, and we'll stop there with the prayer. But, but Jesus said, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. Now, it might sound like something little, but it's the little things that are important that we've got to catch. Jesus didn't say, when you pray, think. He said, when you pray, say. This is important because a lot of times uh, the reason why we don't pray is because we think. Now, I'm not saying don't think about your prayers, but what I am saying is that sometimes we stop at thinking and we never move to saying. And when you think, you're not praying. You don't think your prayers to God. You pray your prayers. You say your prayers to God. Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, he said, when you pray, say. Now, I understand and I believe strongly in the power of our thoughts, that our thought life needs to be pure, it needs to be set on the things of God, that we need to, you know, the way we think, it shapes the way we feel about ourselves, about others, and how we act and so forth. And so I don't want to diminish the importance of your thought life and even thinking thoughts about God and to God. And yes, God reads your mind, by the way. God knows what your thoughts are, every single one of them. Some of us probably feel like, oh, <laughs> he does. That's right. He does. He, re- he knows your thoughts, but that's not the same as praying. And so Jesus is trying to teach us here, pray and refuse to be silenced. It's important. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death are in the power of the mind. Is that what it says? Is it in the power of the thoughts? No, it's in the power of the tongue, right? There's something that God established from the very beginning that when we use words, it releases life or death, power, authority. It's to be demonstrated there. God didn't, didn't uh, in the beginning, it doesn't say, um, God thought, let there be light. God said, let there be light. God created through his words. 
because his words are released the authority and power that, uh, that God had. And so we are to follow suit in the way we relate both to the Lord and engaging in what we would call spiritual warfare. We'll talk about that in a moment. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. Some of you guys aren't convinced with that one scripture. That's all right. I didn't know you were thinking that, but I kind of heard it. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. You notice that Jesus is emphasizing speaking when he is engaging and releasing authority. Verse 24, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. Whatever things you ask when you pray, not whatever things you think about. Sometimes we, we kind of have this idea that because God knows what I have need of and I'm thinking about it, that it's just going to come to pass in my life. And that's not the way that God has established things. The Bible says God knows what you have need of even before you ask. Not before you think about it, though he does know what you have need of before you think about it. But the, the point is that God doesn't provide it for you just because you have a need, and he doesn't provide for you just because you think about it. There's still the responsibility on us to, in faith, ask. And that doesn't just mean, I thought about it and it happened, but engage with the Lord through your words, to ask in faith. The reason why you don't want to be silenced because uh, silence is because you do not release faith through thoughts. You release faith through words. You speak words of faith, and that's where that Mark chapter 11 passage just taught us right there. This is how spiritual warfare takes place. And the enemy is always wanting to silence you. Because your words carry authority and power, it happens in prayer and the way you relate to the Lord, but it also happens in the environment when you're speaking things. You remember when Jesus was uh, fasting 40 days, 40 nights, tempted by the enemy, and Satan comes and he says something to Jesus, and then Jesus says something back. And then Satan says to Jesus, and Jesus says something back. And then Satan says something to Jesus, and Jesus says something back, and then Satan leaves. What just happened right there? We see spiritual warfare taking place. No fists were thrown, no kicks, no body slams, nothing from the top rope, nothing like that at all in the spiritual warfare. The spiritual warfare and the great battle that was taking place took place through words being released. And Satan would have loved for Jesus to be silent, but he couldn't silence him. And when Jesus responded, he responded with the word of God. And that word carried authority over the enemy. And the enemy tried to find different angles, but he just couldn't find a way in. And finally, he left. Satan wants to silence you, but when we read the Bible, we see examples of of Jesus silencing the enemy intentionally. In Luke chapter 4, verse 33 through 35, Jesus commands demons to come out of a man, but first 
he tells him something else. Look at this in verse 33 of Luke 4. It says, Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice. Now if you were like over there somewhere and this happening, you would just think, that guy's yelling in church. He's screaming out and crying out. And you kind of think, this is weird. What's happening right now? Well, the Bible just gave us a little background. But verse 34, he was saying, let us alone What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So here's a man. His mouth is moving, his lips, his tongue, his vocal cords, but it's not him speaking. The Bible indicated that this man had a demon, and it seems like he had multiple demons on the inside because they begin to cry out through this man's voice, and to speak out there against, against Jesus. And so you, you see this, the response of Jesus, it says, Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. Why didn't he just say, come out? You see, Jesus could have just said, come out. But first he said, be quiet. That same Greek word could be translated, be muzzled. Satan was not born like a man, obviously, when, when God created things, he delegated authority to man on earth. When you read Genesis, he said, let them have dominion uh, here on earth. So I'm giving all this over to them. They're to have dominion. Man has delegated authority here on earth. Satan does not. Man is to release the authority and the power of God, the power to make things happen through his words here on earth. Satan does not have vocal cords. He does not have the ability to get on a loudspeaker. So what does he do? He tries to get people to yield to him, to agree with him, to give in to them, to surrender themselves to them, to where they ultimately surrender even their own bodies and mouth and voice to where he can influence so he can destroy, he can steal, he can kill, he can do whatever he, 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 he can possibly accomplish through the voice of man. And so Jesus comes in and he silences the enemy. And there's times in your life when the enemy is raising his voice and you need to take the authority to silence him. Because the battle that's going on there, it's happening, a battle of words. And you don't just think thoughts to overcome the voice of the enemy. But you need to speak words of power, words of God, words of authority out to overcome the enemy. You must muzzle him. Jesus didn't want him to continue talking. Because he knows that this guy is going to distract, he's going to divert, he's going to try to destroy this this demonic presence in this man, and that's why he silences him first. Words of doubt, unbelief, hatred, wickedness, evil, they cause damage. And if Jesus doesn't stop their mouths, the mouth of the, the, the enemy, satanically supernatural power will be released and perpetuated. That's why you have groups of people who give you know, curses, and they do these, these seances. They go out there, and they, they speak words, and they try to put these hexes or whatever. That's a real deal. That stuff's happening. Just like I mentioned in Nicaragua, the, the president's wife is engaging with other people uh, the, who are involved in witchcraft to try to come against what God is doing there. They're speaking words. They're doing things. The enemy knows the power of words, and so that is why he wants us to not be bold to pray. 
He wants us to be silent. You just go on and be good. You just go on and believe the right thing. You go on and listen to the right things, but don't speak up. Don't speak out. Don't use your words. Words are powerful. Words are important. We can see in our own society the attempt to silence every voice of morality, every voice of righteousness. There is a pressure on us just to mind our own business. And don't think that that your truth is someone else's truth. I don't have a truth. God has a truth. I just have to decide whether or not at this point in life, I'm going to yield and surrender to it and and embrace it. But ultimately, the truth is going to stand whether I do or not. The truth is the truth, and it doesn't change based on people. And our culture and society wants to silence us and cause us to back down from speaking the truth, to speaking up uh, for those who are oppressed, to speak up and, and bring health and life to those who are confused. For, to, for those who are hurting, uh, so many of the problems we're facing in our, in our culture and society is because there is a lack of understanding the truth and a biblical authority and biblical morality. Now, we see the fruit of it, but no one wants to address the root of it. And when believers try to speak up to the root of it, then we are shamed, we are shut down, we're called, uh, you know, Words that just that we hate, we're intolerant, that we don't you know love or accept hypocrites because we might speak things that offend. I want to say this: you never need to offend for the sake of offending, and you should never feel be insensitive in the way that you bring the truth with being unaware of, of what the situation someone might be in. We don't simply say, well, that's the truth. If you don't like it, you know, to hell with you or whatever. You know, we don't act like that. That's wrong. We need to be sensitive to people, but we can't be afraid to speak up for the truth, even if it's at significant cost to us. Because if we don't speak up for the truth, what is it going to cost the others, those around us? What is it going to cost them in the long run? I think about where we're at as a culture uh, what something that's been in the news, and it's 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 not a, a a argument that I think the church is is said, hey, let's argue about this. I think it's been thrown at us in our face in, in culture and society at every level, and it's it's the issue of uh, when people are struggling with their gender identity. Now, we are at the point as a culture to where we don't have the right or the ability, even in the school system, when you have kids six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 years old, whatever, when they're struggling with this, and they're really struggling, and they're tr- they're, there's confusion, they're trying to you know, figure out who they are, what's going on in their life, why they, why they feel that way. Somewhere along the lines in our culture, we got away from the, fa- the, the, the idea that, oh man, you're going through that? Let me help you see a counselor to work some of these things out because maybe you're feeling that because something happened or maybe, you know, the hormones or maybe just a little confused or, or different messages. But, but that's not who you are, all that confusion. You know, in the beginning, God created male and female. It's very clear what you are. Now, that is not okay to say that to kids. What is okay is Let's celebrate what you feel. Oh, is this how you feel? Like, how did we get as a culture and society to where we don't sit there and look at that and say, you know what, you probably could be helped through some counseling to get back on track. 
to where we say, oh, we can't, we can't even address that. Instead of speaking up for the truth, and if you do speak up for the truth, oh, you know, what kind of person are you? Instead of that, we celebrate this. These people are hurting, and they're dealing with stuff that's a big deal. And, and truth delivered in love that cares for the person can go a long way. That's where we're at a, as a culture now. I want to share a concern of where we could go down this slippery slope. Suicide, I, I saw a statistic that's, I think it's teen suicide is at an all-time high right now. People in this congregation right now sitting in this room have suicidal thoughts. There is no question in my mind about it. Some of you deal with, I hate myself. These thoughts run through your mind. I don't know if I can go on anymore. Teens, they're dealing with this. Let me tell you something that would be ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous where we could go. Getting to the point to where when someone is suicidal and contemplating suicide, that it is considered unethical, illegal, immoral for you to try to talk them out of it. Because what right do you have to tell them how to feel and what to do with their life? I know right now for me to say that it sounds ridiculous, but if you've been alive for over 20 years, there's some ridiculous stuff happening right now that 20 years ago sounded just as ridiculous as that. I say that because think about even in terms of assisted suicide, the ways the laws and the approach has changed. People who are terminally ill, well, man, they're suffering and and there's no quality of life. How could you withhold from them the right to end their own life? What about the elderly? Well, you know, they've lived a good life and they don't have much time left anyways. How can you tell them that they don't have the right to take their own life? And so at one point, we will legalize it, people doing things. The next step is to criminalize those coming against it. Much of what you see, like dealing with this gender identity confusion, all of this, what I'm saying is there is a pressure to silence the truth. There is a pressure to silence the voice of righteousness. There is this pressure, and it shows up in so many different areas. You might think that what I'm saying about suicide is a stretch, but there are instances where doctors will see somebody choking or, or dying or needing emergency care, and because of their concern that if I, don't, if I mess something up or I'm accused of messing something up when I just tried to help them as a good Samaritan that I could get sued for that. There are people who, instead of getting on the phone to call 911, they get out their phone to take pictures, and they record it, and, and it's all over the internet. We don't celebrate truth and lifting our voices and speaking out for those who are hurting. Instead, we silence those voices, and we just celebrate the pain. Satan wants to silence us, and I know I'm talking about, for a moment, speaking to a community, a a nation, a people, a group, publicly, and the pressure to silence believers in that situation. But you won't have authority and power to speak on a larger scale if you don't, in your closet, take time to speak with authority, in your prayer closet. And you can accomplish more in the spirit than you can in the natural. And if we can start there, 
developing and building up that confidence and that authority and, and engaging with God and, and, and engaging with the, uh, the spiritual realm, lifting up our voices in faith in that private environment, the Lord will give you opportunity to have influence in the public arena as well. This enemy knows that, and that's why he wants to silence you, not just in the public arena, but at the very, very core, which is one-on-one you and God, where you don't even want to pray. Is it possible that the reason why the church has lost so much influence in America in so many different places publicly is because we lost the influence in the prayer closet? That we lost the, the, the time and the authority and power there? Here's the very first key. Pray and refuse to be silenced. What I want to challenge you to do, there's so many things we're not going to talk about in regards to prayer and so many things we won't get to. But I want to tell you this. Just make sure you pray and speak these words because God has given you this process and this power to change things. Now, we refuse to be silenced. But then when it comes to praying, I want to get to the second key because so often we think, okay, I want to pray, I'm going to start talking, but I don't know what to say. Key number two, this might sound really basic, but pray the will of God. I know some people would hear that and say, I know that's my problem. I don't know what the will of God is. See, when we pray, now I know there's a lot of reasons and ways and things we're praying about, but so often when we pray, what we're doing is, God, I need your help to make what you want to come to pass in my life, right? And so I'm praying for your desired outcome, your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth or in my life, just as it is in heaven. That's what I'm I'm looking for. So, So when we pray, we want God's outcome to happen in our life. That's what you pray about, God, what your will is. But what I want to encourage you to do is don't pray a about what is your will. Pray about what your will is. There's a distinction. When you pray about what is your will, what you're saying is, God, I've taken no initiative in my relationship with you and, to, and this book that you gave me to find out what your will is. I just want to be lazy about it and just say, whatever your will is, let that come to pass. But when you pray what his will is, what you're saying is, God, I've taken time to get in your word, and I've heard what you've said about a situation. I read it here, and I read it there. I know some of these things that you're saying, and then, God, I want that to come to pass in my life. See, there's a difference because you can go up to God with confidence and say, God, your word says this, and this isn't what's happening in my life, so Lord, uh, help make this happen in my life. Other situation, uh, the other alternative is you've got a situation in your life and, and you don't like it, but you don't know if this is God's plan or not. So you just say, God, if this is your plan for me, you know, if it's not your plan for me to be in this situation, then, then, then remove it from my life. But if it is your plan, then leave it there. And then you leave your prayer time and whatever happens, you can say, well, that must be the will of God. And you never really know what the will of God was because you didn't find out. You just kind of threw it out there and put the responsibility on God. But you have been given the authority. You, God has his will, and it's your responsibility, my responsibility, to engage with him and by faith grab a hold of that will for our life. 
He knows what you have need of before you ask, but you need to ask for it. And so how do I pray? Some, of, some would say, well, how do I pray the will of God? Why would I do that? First John 5, 14 and 15 says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It's telling us this, we can have confidence when we ask according to God's plan because he hears us when we ask according to his plan. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the, the petitions that we have asked of him. We know that he hears us when we pray according to his will and that, that those are the prayers that God answers. God answers prayers according to his will. I know that might sound basic, but some people just throw out prayers never knowing what his will is. And so this is one of the best ways to address, approach this in prayer is when you've got a situation in your life that you're working through, and you realize, uh, God, I need help here, <laughs> then here's what you do. Find out what does God say about that. I don't care if you look in the back of your Bible to find some key words that speak about it, or if you Google, what does God say about this? What's the Bible say about that? But you find out what does the Scripture say so that you can get a sense of what God's will is. And then you can go to God and begin to pray. And so how do I pray? How do I actually pray? Well, maybe you can start off by declaring what God's word says. God, in your word, Psalm 75, 6 and 7, it says that promotion does not come from the east or the west or the south, but you're the judge. You put one up and put another down. And God, I need a promotion right now. <laughs> and so promotion comes from you. I'm not going to promote myself, God. I'm not going to look to anyone else. If you need any suggestions on who to put down, I've got some ideas, but I'm not going to tell you, but I do know who needs to be put up, right? And so, so God, your word says this, promotion comes from you. Is there anything in my life that needs to get in alignment so that I'm uh, ready to be promoted? Well, show me that, but I'm going to trust you for promotion. Uh, Proverbs 19.14, God, in your word, it says houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers. Well, I'm a father, so it would be great to give my kids houses and riches as an inheritance, houses and riches. So Lord, I'm going to trust you to provide this estate for me and for my family. And Lord, I'm going to trust you that I won't lose it based on the economy. These things come from you, God. Show me what to do. Give me wisdom on, on how to approach this so that I have something to leave to my kids. And the next part of the verse says, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. A prudent wife. Now, of course, uh, if you need a husband and not a wife, a good husband is from the Lord. Not Amazon.com, not Christian date and mate, <laughs> right? I mean, you might meet somebody online that's great, but, but you don't want somebody who just simply, you look at their little list, your, their bio, like, you like pizza? I like pizza. You like movies? I like movies. You like to read? I like to read. You like silence? I like to talk. You know, you're looking at, at all that stuff. You're like, we're perfect for each other. We're perfect because our bio says so. You don't want somebody else orchestrating this. God, I want my spouse to come from you. Lord, handcrafted in heaven, you know? And guess what? If you are single and wanting to marry and believe that's the will of the Lord for you, because not all single people do and you don't have to, but if, if you do believe that, believe that you will be handcrafted by God for the person that he has for you. And you bring these things to him and say, Lord, I'm not going to go to the bar looking for a spouse. 
I'm not going to go, you know, to all the singles events trying to find the one. I'm going to look to you and I'm going to make myself, you know, marriageable, dateable first, marriageable. And uh, he might even tell you some things you need to do. And if he doesn't, then I got some ideas, right? I'm like, you know, first of all, be nice. All right. Psalm 103, too. God, your word says that you forgive all of our iniquities and heal all of our diseases. If you've sinned, God, you, your word says that you forgive my sin. I have sinned. I'm sorry. God, please forgive me. If you got disease, sickness, illness, dis-ease, God, your word says that you're my healer. And so, Lord, right now I'm asking you to heal my body or heal somebody else. Lord, your word says in Malachi 3 that for tithers, you open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing over us. God, I'm a tither. If you're a tither, you can say that. If not, you'd say, I'm a liar. (laughs) I'm a tither. And then you say, I'm a liar, and then I repent. I'm going to be a tither. Uh, I'm a tither. Open the windows of heaven over us and pour out blessing so that we can't contain it. God, I need your provision in my life. Maybe you have a relationship conflict got people coming against you. You're studying the word and you see that it says a soft answer turns away wrath. Lord, help me to be gentle in my speech and not overreact and get loud and tell them where to go and all that Uh, because this turns away wrath. The Bible says that when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. Lord God, are there any ways in me that, that are not pleasing to you? Lord, help my ways to please you so that even my enemies, that I have peace whether that's in the home, at the workplace, walking down the street or whatever it is. Lord God, I'm looking to you and your word. What are you doing when you do that? It's not a long prayer. It's not the right words. It's the will of God. And you're praying the word of God, which is the will of God. And when you, out of your mouth, out loud, release the word of God in faith, then it engages the provision, the power of God, the angels of God. It puts uh, the enemy on the run. And that's why he's wanting you to stay silent. He doesn't want you to catch the word of God and so that you say, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what happens when you pray the will of God, that his kingdom comes and his will is done. But Jesus said, when you pray it, say it. There's so much we can get into, but that's all my time. You guys took up all my time this morning. I'm already a minute and a half over. But how many of you feel like a little bit more encouraged to think, you know what? I can pray and use my words and see things happen. (laughs) 